Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you this morning, and uh, God is so good. Today is family day, so we're having a great time today, just welcoming family and friends. Thank you for coming to church today, and I know you're going to have a blast. I have been preaching a sermon series called Back to the Basics, taking September and just looking at the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And last week, we started with the book of Philippians, and that's where I'm going today. But last week, I talked about chapter 1 from Philippians and about what it means to live a gospel-centered life. What does it mean to put the gospel as the center of who you are and live out of that? And what we saw from Paul's life is it really means that we live to advance the gospel. We live to see the gospel message go forward. We live a selfless life to see the gospel go forward. We live a life of Christian fellowship and prayer as we pray for others as they see the gospel go forward. Okay. Well, today I'm really launching into the same waters, so to speak, but I'm going to particularize this and narrow the focus in just a little bit, and I'm going to talk about what it means to live a cross-centered life, okay? We know we're living a gospel-centered life, but part of the gospel is the story of the cross, and so if we particularize this concept, what does it mean to live a cross-centered life? I want to begin with just one verse of Scripture, and then we'll work our way through the majority of chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 5 of Philippians says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think about it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul continues this thought in verse 27 of chapter 1 of living the gospel-centered life. He says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Live your lives so that you're living worthy of the gospel. And he says, whether I'm with you or I'm absent from you, I want to hear of your affairs so that you'll stand with me and stand with me for the gospel. And this is obviously a high standard he's setting. Live worthy of the gospel. And then he goes on and says, but we should all stand together in one mind. And that's really where he's going with chapter 2. It's about having this attitude. This attitude and the attitude we need is the attitude Jesus had. If we want to really be believers, really be Christians, be Christians in the 21st century, we need to have the mind or the attitude that Jesus had. What kind of attitude did he have? Well, we're, I'm going to unveil this as we go along. He had one that was centered on the cross as his sacrifice and his gift to humanity. Years ago, there was an interview done with two famous Christian theologians. Their names were Carl Henry and Kenneth Conser. And they were great evangelical theologians, and both of them were in their 80s at this time, I think. And the moderator said, you two men have been extraordinarily influential for almost 50 years. And without wanting to indulge in cheap flattery, I must say that what is attractive about your ministries is that you've retained integrity. Both of you are strong, yet you're not egotistical. You don't have a big ego. And one of the theologians responded and said this, How on earth can anyone be arrogant when standing beside the cross? How on earth can anyone be arrogant 
when standing by the cross. I'm going to give you three characteristics of a cross-centered life. First of all, a cross-centered person prefers others. The cross was about Jesus laying his life down for others. You and I are to live our lives preferring others. Notice the first four verses of chapter 2 in the New International Version. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. What he's talking about is living a life that we pass on. He said, you've experienced the golden Christian virtues as you've lived this life. You know what it means to be encouraged. You know what it means to be comforted by the love of God. You know what it means to share in the Spirit. You know what it means to feel the tenderness and compassion. And how about you just treat people the other way, that that same way. In the way that you've received it, now pass it on. All the love and the gifts of the Spirit, the blessings that you've received, now pass it on to someone else. And Paul says these words in verse 3, in humility, value others above yourself. In humility, value others above yourself. That's what Jesus did. And how do we do that? By avoiding three things he tells us here in this little passage. Number one, we're not to do anything out of selfish ambition. That the term in Greek means electioneering, a desire to put oneself forward. There's nothing wrong with ambition, but selfish ambition comes from the Greek word that really means rivalry. That means when someone else succeeds, a part of you dies. When someone else does well, you get angry. You just feel like it's a competition. That's because there's selfish ambition in you. And what we should feel when someone else succeeds is we should feel a sense of joy for them. A cross-centered person has died to that spirit of rivalry. How do you do this? I'm going to give you a hint. Start rejoicing when someone else succeeds. Even go up to them maybe and say, hey man, I'm so glad for you. Even if they don't receive it and act like a jerk, you still say it because it frees your spirit of that rivalry, and of that competition. That's how you live preferring others. Just go ahead and compliment somebody. Just go ahead and, and pass on the blessing. Secondly, he says we're not to do anything out of vain conceit. What is vain conceit? That is glorying without reason. It's all about me. I'm conceited. William Barclay says this is the desire for personal prestige. Prestige for some is a greater temptation than even money. To sit on the platform, to have my own opinions sought out by others, live in vain conceit. One man was irritated because he felt one of his stewards, he was a very wealthy and, and powerful man, and he felt one of his stewards was, was incompetent. And he asked the steward one day, do you know who I am? And the steward said, no, sir, but I'll make inquiries and I'll come back and let you know. 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, it really doesn't matter who you are. Come on. I mean, get off your high horse. Get off the high horse and don't live out of this vain conceit. And third thing he says, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. The words in Greek here means don't compare, but fix your eyes upon another person. Self-centeredness is being only concerned about yourself and your own interests. So what is original sin? William Temple said, original sin is when you think you are the center of the world. Where the horizon for you depends on where you stand. And education is a wonderful thing, but if you're all self-conceited and you're only concerned about your own interest, then William Temple said education can be like a tower which just serves your own purposes and keeps getting higher and higher. So how, what's the way out of this? What's the way out of self-interest, vain conceit, and selfish ambition? The way out of that is to serve other people. The way out of that is to start praying for other people. The way out of that is to start giving to other people. And when you do those things, these, these things should start to melt away in your life and you'll start living for others. Oh, hallelujah. Some people believe that when they come into the church, we only talk about money and money. Well, if you've been around Fountain of Life a long time, you know we, that's not the case with us. But nonetheless, the Bible talks a lot about money, but it's to get us out into the spirit of giving, which releases our spirit to serve others and to serve God appropriately. It sets things in order in our lives. So Christians aren't afraid of that. We're living for others anyhow. We're living to see the world one to Christ anyhow. I'm living a cross-centered life where now I've died to self and I'm living to the things of God. I have a dear friend and his wife is a famous singer. She's been a famous singer since she was 12 years old or maybe even earlier. I think she went on a bus with her family at 12 and traveled and recorded albums and won awards. And I mean, they're amazing. And she was at one point singing with a collective group of musicians and singers, and they would go sing to 20,000 people in an arena, 30,000 people in an arena, travel the world. They would pick her up in a private jet and take her to concerts. Well, at one point, she just felt, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I just need to get out of this. I'm tired of this. I just don't feel to go any further with it. So she quit. And my friend is a preacher, and he said she came home, and, and, and he said, Hans, she laid in bed for weeks, depressed, because she had been to the heights of popularity, and she was on the bed just in utter depression. And he said, we, I didn't know what, we couldn't do anything for her. Nothing was working. But he said, one day, she got up, and she said, you know what? I'm going to go into the city, and I'm going to feed the homeless. She went under a bridge and she began feeding homeless people. And he told me, he said, as soon as she did that, the depression broke off of her life. And it started an amazing ministry that they still continue feeding homeless people. Why? Because when we start doing stuff for others, it frees us up. It breaks this stuff off of our life. The cross-centered person prefers others and lives for others. Come on, somebody. Shout hallelujah with me this morning. The second thing that a cross-centered life does 
is it has the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ. Notice verse 5. This is one of the greatest, most awesome passages in the Bible. I want you to hear me read it here from the NIV. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is this mindset of Christ? It's the attitude that prefers others over itself. Jesus didn't suffer from selfish ambition from vain conceit or self-centeredness. He didn't suffer from those three things that you and I wrestle with. He gave his life openly and willingly. He had this spirit of self-sacrifice expressing love to others. Jesus let go of his natural status. He was God, but he let go of it to come down and give his life for you and I. That's the mind of Christ. He had, he could grasp for those things, but he didn't. He let it all go. This is why Paul says he did not consider it robbery, or he did not grasp for it. What does the NIV said? He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't come down to earth and say, hey guys, let me tell you, I just came from heaven, if God's my father, and so you need to give me the best seat in the synagogue. He didn't come down and say, hey guys, do y'all know who my father is really? I mean, I mean, come on man, maybe get me out of this court trial right now, tell, these, uh, tell the Pharisees what's going on. No, he relinquished all of that. He relinquished his status. He wasn't trying to be God on earth. He wasn't striving to be God on earth. He wasn't trying to climb the ladder or show off his God-likeness. He surrendered it all so that you and I could be saved. He also surrendered his social status. Though he was equal with God, he made himself, the Bible says, of no reputation. That's the opposite of socially climbing the ladder. He didn't have to have that. I love to be around people who are free from the fickleness of trying to smooth people over and, and rub up against people so it can give them a better advantage. I love people who are free of that, who they can walk in and know who they are in a crowd and, and if people like them, they like them. If they don't, they don't. And it isn't going to bother their, their sense of self-worth. They know who they are. They know who, where they stand. I love that type of... It's even greater to see it in a person who is very wealthy or very successful that they've somehow overcome the need to climb the ladder and feel like they got to elbow other people along the way or, or s- smooth themselves up. Come on. They just, they just got free of that and they're like, 
like the Lord, they let go of the social status. And finally, he let go of any legal rights he had. He could have gotten out of the trial. He could have called 10,000 angels to get him off the cross. But he died a death of a common criminal between two thieves. And he died for really no reason at all legally. If you look at it, it was a crazy trumped up trial. But he died and he went from the light of God to the darkness of death. He went from the highest height to the deepest depth. This is the attitude that Paul is saying we're to have. This is the attitude that it becomes the basic building blocks of being a Christian. A Christian isn't about walking in and pushing their way to the highest social status. Pushing their way to make everyone know who we are. No, no, no. The Christian comes in and we know who we are in Christ and we offer our lives for others. Oh man, this is so countercultural. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I know it's deep and I know it's in depth here and technical, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. We live a gospel centered life to see the gospel go, and we live a cross centered life to serve others. That's what being a Christian is really about. Final thing Paul says here a cross centered person takes responsibility then for their own lives. They take responsibility for their own lives. I want you to look at verse 12. Again, I'm reading this out of the NIV here this morning. Verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose, Therefore, you should do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh, hallelujah. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and serving service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do everything without complaining and murmuring. Be blameless and harmless without fault. Hold fast the word of life. He's saying that we should take responsibility for our lives. Shocker, we should take responsibility for our lives, even for our salvation. And you said, oh, hold on, Hans. Our salvation is all by grace. It's by faith. Yes, it is by grace. And yes, it is by faith. But that doesn't abdicate our role of taking responsibility for our salvation. Now that we are saved and now that we've received the grace of God, we should all the more now want to live it out. I can't, I can't get with this argument. Hey, I'm saved and I can do whatever I want to now. God forgives everything. I don't have to go to church and I don't have to do what the preacher says or the Sunday school teacher says. I can just live my life the way I want to and I'll go on Christmas and Easter and God knows me. God, Nobody can judge me because God knows. I hate that attitude. That's not the attitude of a born-again, spirit-filled, on-fire believer. The attitude of a true blue believer is this. 
God has saved me by His grace. There's nothing I could do to accomplish that salvation. Now, bless God, I want to do my best. I want to live right. I want to pray. I want to love others. I want to go to church every time the doors open. I want to soak in the Scripture. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to operate in the gifts. I want to share the gift of God to everybody around me. That is the attitude, I think, of a true blue believer, one who takes responsibility for their own life. They take responsibility. Walk out the path of your service to God in response to the call of God in the sphere of your influence. Walk out what God has done for you. There was a man, there was a British man named George Hoffman. And years ago, he started an organization called TEAR, T-E-A-R, which was an acronym. And it was a British relief and development organization. He guided it for the first 21 years, birthed out of his vision. And they helped people who had been devastated by earthquakes or floods or refugees who were uh, migrant and, and in terrible straits. They helped people like that all over the world. When he first started the organization, they had an income of $50,000. And he led it until it, they had an income of over $20 million. And at the end of his life when he died, this is what his obituary read. This is a piece of it. His obituary read, Mr. Hoffman, his face could move from pain to horror to humor in a few words. His voice could be strong, gentle, full of passionate intensity, and yet the underlying mercy side wit was never absent. It was a recipe which caught the attention of thousands of Christian people and turned their minds to alleviating human need across the world. That was a man who took responsibility for his life and for others and spent his life at the service of others. Think about it. Take responsibility for your own salvation. Take responsibility for society at large. Paul says, don't complain. Don't complain. This is opposite of what Christians should be like. Christians are to be blameless and without complaining. Let's read it. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Grumbling and arguing, unfortunately have become characteristics of churches that people in the community know them by. Well, that's the church that split over the color of carpet. Or that's the church that ran the preacher off. Or that's the church that the, they, you can't sit in that saint's seat. They've sat there for 50 years. And if you come in, they'll get mad at you. I can't stand that kind of church. We're not that kind of church at Fountain of Life. We're a church that lives for the others. We're a church that lives for the outside. We're a church that lives for the lost. We're a church that lives for the mission field. If you want to come in here, however you look, whatever background you're from, this is your place to come, and we're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to believe for life change. We're going to believe for God to do what only God can do in your life. We're not backing up. We're not standing back from what we believe leave, but we're welcoming everyone who comes in our midst. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give the Lord a praise this morning. Hallelujah. He said, I want you to take responsibility for the society, and I want you to live in a such a way that when the neighborhood looks at you, they say, that's a true Christian. 
And when the neighborhood looks at our church, they say that is what a church should be about. That's what Paul is saying, live blameless in front of others so that you may become blameless and pure. And he said, in the midst of a warped and crooked generation, you'll shine like stars in the sky. You're going to be so radically different from what society sees. You're so radically different that you're going to shine like the stars in the sky. They're going to say, oh, we know Fountain of Life Edenton. We know Fountain of Life Elizabeth City. The folks there, they have something. I I hear it all the time about Fountain of Life Church. We came in and we felt something different. I've heard it about Elizabeth City and I've heard it about Edenton. We just came in, there's something different. We felt something. It's like, oh my gosh, there's something in the air here. God's in this place. These folks are different. Yeah, that's what I want to be known by. That I want to be known for that. That we're a people that shine like the stars in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. Then he comes down to the final thing. And he says, really, we should take responsibility for the church. He says in verse 16, He says, and on the day of Christ, it means when Jesus returns or when we stand before him, Paul said, I want to know that I didn't run my race in vain. I want to know that you guys are standing there on that day and you're standing there without fault, blameless and pure, standing before him. And he said, then I'm going to know that everything that I've done wasn't a waste, but that my life was spent as a drink offering, like in the Old Testament, pouring out a drink offering. I've been poured out, Paul's saying, everything in me being poured out for others so that at the end, you're going to make it in and you're going to be blameless and you're going to be pure, helping others make it across the finish line. This is what a cross-centered life's about having the mind of Christ, living for the sake of others, taking responsibility for our lives, for our witness in the community, and for helping other brothers and sisters make it across the finish line. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. As a pastor preaching funerals, it's not one of my favorite things to do, but I've done many a funeral. I can't even, I don't even know the number. For 25 plus years I've been preaching funerals. And I've preached funerals for people who've committed suicide. I've preached funerals for people who were drug addicts. I've preached funerals for people I didn't know. And I've preached funerals for saints of God that I knew they lived the life and they prayed and they fasted and their light shone as stars in the sky. And I'm telling you, that's the funeral you want to have when you end up in the casket. And if me or Kyle has to preach over you, We want to step up and say, I knew them, and I'm here to testify they lived their lives as an offering. They lived a cross-centered life. They clung to the cross, and they lived their life so that others could make it. And they lived an exemplary life, letting the cross shine through them, and they lived for the sake of others. It wasn't all about self. That's why we're so turned off. On religious leaders, sometimes it seemed like it's all about me and my stuff. It just turn, it's just against the nature of the gospel. It's, we, when we see businessmen like that, it turns us off. It's against the nature of servant leadership. 
God is saying we're to live a life for others. So there was a famous preacher who died a few years ago named Miles Monroe. He was from the Bahamas. And I heard Miles Monroe the first time, I think, in 1993. And then I heard him later on in the 2000s when I lived in D.C. I remember my wife and I sitting there and listened to him one night in Washington, and he preached for two hours, and it seemed like 15 minutes. He was captivating. But Miles Monroe said this. He said, don't leave this life with the baton still in your hand. You know, a baton is used in a relay race. That one runner is running and has the baton in their hand. And then they get to the next runner and they pass it off. The next runner catches the baton and they run. We're here running a relay race, folks. And if it's all about us, we're just running around the track wanting everybody to see us, and then we'll never finish, we'll never win, we'll never help anyone else. But if we get the mindset of Jesus that we've come down and emptied ourselves of all these things, and I'm living to pass that baton to the next generation, then I'm telling you, we're going to have a major impact. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Why are we in Edenton? We didn't have to do this. Why am I preaching online and preaching overseas? I don't have to do that. I could go home and plant a garden or something, and gardening's good. I'm no, no criticism. I'm just saying. But why do we do it? Because I know I want to pass the baton, and I want to reach out and give what we have so that others can make it and others can reach the finish line. I'm going to tell one story, and we're going to pray this morning. But there was, a, there was a famous man years ago named William Booth. They called him General Booth. And General Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army in England. And General Booth just had a passion for people who were down and out, for people who lived on the streets of London. One day it said he took his little boy into a brothel with them drinking and all the stuff going on in a brothel. And he took his little boy in there and he said, Look around. Son, these are our people. Look around. These are our people. And he founded this organization and used military terms, captains and generals, and, and they started street ministry, and many of you have heard, I know, of the Salvation Army. But it was said that as General Booth got older, that one year for Christmas, he wanted to send a Christmas card to all of his workers around the world. And, but they didn't have enough money to print a lot of stuff inside because it's back in the days when each letter cost so much money. So they said, General Booth, we only really have money for one word to be written in this Christmas card. What would you like for it to be? And you know what he chose? One word, others. Others. So when all of his workers around the world opened it up, all they read was others. That's why we live. We live for others. We live to pass the baton. Jesus came for others. He came and gave everything he had. There's a, there's a Greek term in, Second Thess in Philippians chapter 2, rather called kenosis. 
It says when he emptied himself. That word kenosis is a self-emptying. He poured it all out, stepped off the throne of glory, left all that behind to save us. And Paul is telling the Philippians, that's how you should be. That's how you should be. If you live like that, that's the life of a Christian. I love you guys. We're going to pray. Thank you so much for joining us online. And I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. According to the scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. Uh, Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and was in great torment. He was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger, to tell his family. Well, listen, you're hearing the message today. Eternity is real, and you're going to spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now, me and you, that you're going to spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. Cleanse me of all sin. I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours. Okay? So let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this. Father in heaven, I, I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. And I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, for saving me, and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen right where you're at? Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back. Get in. Get in the Word. Get in the flow of the Spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.